Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon Holiday Extravaganza. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. All month long, I'll bring you interviews with authors chatting about their holiday-themed cozies. You'll also hear authors sharing their special holiday memories. And you'll find holiday photos and recipes on the podcast Instagram. Happy listening. Welcome, listeners, to another holiday bonus from the Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. Today, three stories. Author Maggie Toussaint shares memories of childhood Christmases in coastal Georgia. Author Ellen Byron regales us with her tale of her Louisiana Christmas adventure to see the bonfires on the levee. But first, book blogger Christopher Zagorski tells us the legend of the Yule Cat. It will make you appreciate that Christmas sweater from Aunt Marge. She's just looking out for you. Hello and happy holidays. My name is Christopher Zagorski and I'm the creator and sole reviewer at the award-winning book blog Bolo Books. On a recent trip to Iceland to attend their crime fiction convention, Iceland Noir, I became fascinated with the nation's holiday traditions. To celebrate the 12 days leading up to Christmas, the Icelanders have the Yule Lads, one of whom is celebrated on each of those days, with names like Spoon Licker, Sausage Stealer, and the slightly creepy-sounding Window Peeper. Each of these lads is fascinating in their own right, but it was truly their pet that really garnered my fascination, the Yule Cat. While walking the streets of Reykjavik, we stumbled upon a large three-dimensional display of the Yule Cat. After doing some research, I found out a bit more about the interconnected mythos around this holiday animal. We all know that kids would rather have toys than clothes for the holidays, so this cat is often used as a bit of an explanation as to why they received some clothes and not those new toys they wished for. The theory goes that if you don't get new clothes for Christmas, the Yule Cat will come and shred all your current clothes and eat the child. This seems a bit harsh, but even more interesting was that it also seems to be a way of encouraging the mother or the grandmother who traditionally would be making these clothes to work a bit faster to ensure that their children can receive the clothes on the day in question and not get eaten. How's that for an incentive? Like fairy tales and holiday stories from all over the world, the Yule Cat might not be the kindest of creatures, but he sure was adorable, even with the sharp teeth and claws, when he was lit up on the evening streets for the holiday season as we walked around in the gently falling snow. So keep that in mind when you open those new socks on Christmas morning. Remember that the Yule Cat is to blame. Merry Christmas! Thanks for that chilling holiday tale, Christopher. Now... Maggie Toussaint takes us someplace a bit warmer, to the Georgia seaside. Hi, everyone. I'm here to talk about Christmas. To me, Christmas has always been about family. I was one of five children who grew up in a small fishing village on the Georgia coast. My grandmother always said, if you lived by the coast, you'd never starve. So everybody stayed nearby, all of her eight children and all of their descendants. So it was just a big fishing mess full of uh, cousins to play with. When Christmas time came, we would chop our tree from the deep woods or sometimes just the roadside woods. We often had pine trees or cedar trees. And my sister swears there were bubble lights on the tree. And it's interesting. I have no memory of that. But for her, bubble lights are it. And she still has bubble lights on her tree. And she claimed the one 
ornament that survived our childhood, this tiny little angel head that looked like, you know, a, a, a caricature of a old timey porcelain doll. Anyway, um, come Christmas day, we had one present under, under the tree and a stocking full of fruit and nuts. And that was just like heaven. The best gift I ever got was my brother's Christmas present. <laughs> and we uh, got up early, opened his present. And it was one of these kits that um, you poured goo into gel, uh, into moles, and you baked it in the oven and made little spiders and snakes and everything. And we had the best time scaring everybody with those things. And um, he never got that again. I don't know why they didn't give him that. Anyway, um, music was a big part of our holidays here on the Georgia coast. There were traveling minstrels that went from house to house with a washboard and a bass uh, instrument, and they would sing. And there was one gal named Ollie that when she sang Silent Night, we just knew it was Christmas then. Also, my older cousin Hunter had the ability to play by ear. So whenever he like plunked down at somebody's piano, the call would get, go out on the telephone and we'd all gather around the piano where he was playing. And he could just do anything. He was really good at like the Righteous Brothers and Elvis stuff. But Christmas songs, oh my gosh, it was amazing. I love to stand there by the piano and just either put my hand on it or just be close enough that I could feel the vibrations of the chords striking the wire. And it just, the music was really in me. And later when I learned how to play the guitar, I just got that wonderful feeling of music. Um, so. My last childhood memory involves things with my uncle Bobo, who was not blessed with children in his marriage. And consequently, he seemed to have a little bit more money than everyone else. So he would round up all of his nieces and nephews under 10, put them in the back of his car. And this was before the days of seatbelts. So you can just imagine six or seven scrawny little kids all shined up for Christmas, going into the B&B &B variety store in the town 10 miles away that, you know, had all of maybe 1,500 people in it that day, that year, that, at that time. And this was the early 60s. He would give us each $5 to spend in that store. Oh, my gosh, we felt like millionaires. And, you know, some of us would try to get one kind of nice thing and others would try to get, you know, as many things as we could for $5. <laughs> but it was just so much fun. And just sharing it with all my cousins was just amazing. Also, the very last thing I want to mention is my uncle Bobo always wore red pants on Christmas Day. And this was such an iconic memory for me that I now also uh, keep red pants for Christmas. And I put them on today in honor of this recording. And so I hope you will also carry on the tradition of Christmas with your family. And maybe there'll be some red pants involved. Merry Christmas, everyone. Sounds like Uncle Bobo and Maggie will be safe from the Yule Cat thanks to the red pants. Now come along with Ellen Byron to Cajun Country, where the red is from the glow of bonfires. Um, so in uh, I uh, Cajun Country Mystery, the first one, Plantation Shutters, came out in 2015, in August of 2015. And I'd already turned in the second book, Body in the Bayou. And I knew the third one, which I had to start writing, I wanted to be Christmas themed. And I knew I wanted to revolve around this tradition that happens on the levees um, north of uh, the Mississippi levees 
north of New Orleans in uh, what they call the river parishes. Um, and these were called bonfires on the levee. And what they do is they build these magnificent giant bonfires that they light on Christmas Eve. And some are shaped like they'll be, some are like, there's one that's built like to look like an alligator. There's one that's built, to, was built to look like a pirate ship. Um, and I just had this strong, strong feeling that I had to experience this for myself. You know, you do a lot of research when you're writing books. Um, and I've done plenty of research. There are things I, I write about I have not done myself, but just thoroughly researched. But for some reason, I really had a strong feeling I had to do this one for myself. So I commandeered my family to go to New Orleans and spend Christmas 2015 in Louisiana. I have a very dear friend, Gaynelle Bourgeois Moore. You may recognize the name, anyone who's read the series, because I uh, she inspired a character in the book. Um, and she lives in Saint-Amant, uh, which is not far from that area. So we arranged to spend a couple of nights with her uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day night, um, which I turned this into a, a real trip of to introduce my husband and daughter. Well, my hu husband knew about Cajun country, but I wanted to introduce my daughter to it. We even combined a, um, a school tour of Tulane while she was there. And she ended up at Loyola. That was a separate trip. Um, but anyway, uh, we so we flew out and we what happened is I was trying to figure out how to view these bonfires. And I'd gotten friendly online with um, a woman who ran the tourism department for the, uh, the um, river parishes. And they had done a contest where one of the prizes was a attending a private party where you could across the street from one of the uh, bonfire areas um, and you could view them from there um, and go to this private party. And I didn't win, but when the winner couldn't come, um, the woman said, you know, you were runner up. Would you like it? Cause they knew I was dying to do this and come. Cause I had let her know how excited I was and how I was going to be in the book. So we got invited to this private party that was in Gramercy. And what it was, it was this family of adult siblings, um, the, the Rousseau and uh, email email various names. Um, and they would come together and throw this party at the, one of their homes, which was right across the street from the levee. And they invited, it was a very open thing, lots of friends, lots of people. And, you know, it was like they provided a ton of food and then there was potluck. Um, and the food was amazing. Uh, it was some of the, it was probably some of the best Cajun food I've ever had in my life. And um, so anyway, but what happened is the day of the, uh, they, so it's supposed to happen on the 24th and if the weather is bad, then they push it to New Year's Eve. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're not going to be here for New Year's Eve. And it started raining on, um, on Christmas Eve day. And I was like, oh my God. So it was very off and on, you know, is it on, is it off, is it on, is it off? I was like, please God, please let it happen. Please happen. I can't come back. And so they did decide to have the bond to light the bonfires, even though there was a bit of a drizzle. And the thing about these bonfires is they're like seven or eight feet. They're really tall. And some people put, um, cane on it so that which crackles when it goes off. Some people just full on put fireworks on them. They put their, their, um, uh, they set off uh, fireworks, you know, firecrackers on the on the bonfires, and they set off fireworks in the river. I mean, it's this huge, huge event, and it runs up the river for uh, several miles. I don't know how far up it runs, um, but anyway, 
So we made it there. I was like, oh my gosh. So there we go to this party and it's this amazing food. And we don't know a soul except we brought Gaynell because she was our guest. And I knew I'd met Joe, who was the woman who was my connection to it. And then we just, you know, uh, and then the, they split the fire, the uh, bonfires. And it was just like, incredible so i go but it's still drizzling so i go running i'm running back and forth on the levee and there's like you know the fireworks the bonfires are going and firecrackers are going and the cane is going and the fireworks are launching from the river and and i am getting covered in soot and and rain and just having the time of my life and um so that we got to experience the the bonfires on the levee, which I recommend everyone factor into their life at least once. We got to see it be part of this fabulous um, uh, private party, um, and I wrote all this into Occasion Christmas Killing. My my protagonist, I tied it to a very dramatic climax where my character is you know running through these bonfires and you know trying. You can't hear anything because everything is the noise is exploding everywhere, and and she wet and covered with soot. And I ended up um, showering. We my Gaynell and I uh, went to midnight, uh, well, at 9.30, it wasn't midnight, but 9.30 Christmas Eve mass. And, um, and I had to shower beforehand. And so did my protagonist. And then some, this is a little bit of sidebar. Um, there's this lovely, sweet girl at this event who uh, they have a festival of the bonfires that happens a couple of weeks before. And she was Miss Festival of the Bonfires. And she was there wearing her sash and this fabulous tiara with a you know uh, image of a bonfire and, and and fires and that got me really interested in these pageants they have in louisiana and the fabulous tiaras they have with them so i ended up writing that into my fourth cajun country mystery a mardi gras murder where there was also a miss mardi gras gumbo queen I forgot. It's like this long title and there's this pageant contest going on through that book. So I got two stories out of it. Um, but I, I really want to go back again. I, I was a fabulous experience. And the other thing that happened, that's actually the third payoff to that amazing visit is that the Roussel family was had a self-published cookbook and it was a fundraiser for cancer because they lost some fun uh, family members to cancer. And of course, I'm a, a love cookbooks. I collect vintage cookbooks. So I bought one. And it's the perfect example of what they call a community cookbook or a family cookbook, you know, that's published by for a specific goal by a specific group. And um, I got in touch. I'm, I'm launching a new series set in New Orleans called the Vintage Cookbooks in June. And I'm including recipes from some of the cookbooks you know, I adapt them so that I make them mine uh, recipes from some of my cookbook collection there in the book. Um, and I got in touch with uh, the woman or one of the family members um, for uh, to see if I could include a recipe. And she gave me permission. And I told her, you know, I wrote the book, uh, Cajun Christmas Killing. And I think I sent you a copy, but if I didn't, I'd love to. And she wrote back, my daughter bought a copy and we put it on our mantle every Christmas. So it's the full circle of that trip and then the dividends it paid in terms of uh, the literary dividends and the emotional dividends for me. And, and uh, speaking of the, the fires for a moment, what's the connection between bonfires and Christmas though? Why, why do they ah, yes. set all of these on? Why do they why set the fires? They, there are many theories. Um, the, the one that, that they've gone, because I guess this has been going on for, 
century or more. I don't rem- I I don't remember the exact date it started, but what they say now is it's the, the original theory was that they may have built them in, you know, in the 1800s or something to help light the way um on Christmas Eve for the boats going on the Mississippi. And I don't know why they would light them then and not any other time. Cause like you'd think, you know, it's dark. They need the boats would need that guidance all the time. But what they say now is it's, and what the tradition became over the centuries is that it's to light the way for, to the Cajun children for Papa Noel. Oh, <laughs> I know. Isn't that sweet? That's so the bonfires <laughs> show on Christmas Eve, show Papa Noel the way, um, the path to all the, the Cajun children. Thank you, Christopher, Maggie, and Ellen for sharing your stories. And thank you, listeners, for more than 11,000 listens to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. Until next time, a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and goodbye. Thank you for listening to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award-winning author and host of the show. Tune in next time for another chat with an author writing on the lighter side of crime. Until then, goodbye.